Welcome to episode 31 of the Everyday Sense podcast. I'm Jack Richardson, joined by Brennan Parks. Brennan, from a different setting now, he moved across the country. He's from coming live from Edmonton right now. So, Brennan, uh, how was the move? It's been a little while since we talked. We had a little break there for you to get all settled and everything, and it's still obviously a work in progress. But how's that going, and uh, have you been the last little while? Yeah, it's been really good. It was uh, 37 hours of driving, so it took five days. Uh, it was fairly exhausting, but... Uh, definitely fun and i'm loving it here in edmonton i mean we're two hours behind so it's only nine in the morning for me and, and we're recording at 11 eastern so uh it's been good though yeah i'm excited i'm gonna get my sense tickets here uh, to that lone game in edmonton and then hopefully make the drive to calgary too but we'll see uh and yeah i mean so far just exploring and, and doing different things but uh yeah we've had to unpack everything so it's it's a uh, a lot of work moving i'll tell you that it's uh that's not overly fun but once it's set up that's the fun part right so yeah, we've missed, uh, technically we skipped over two episodes there, uh, and now we're going to start resuming as normal, so uh, the, we do have some stuff to talk about today. I mean, it, it was kind of dry before we left, so we're going to get into a few things today and then do another team comparison, which has gotten a lot of, of heat and attention from other fan bases as well, correct? <laughs> yeah, the uh, team comparisons have kind of been been a good summer little project, and it, it's good because, you know, little teaser later in the episode we're going to compare the ottawa senators to the boston bruins and we wanted to do them earlier because obviously they were the cream of the crop in the nhl last year they were the team to beat uh going into the playoffs anyway and we wanted to wait just because we weren't sure about bergeron and Krejci. lo and behold when we waited both of them retire so obviously that's going to be a good time to do a comparison because it's pretty set in stone what their lineup's going to be so uh we'll get into all that first and foremost though this is our first episode since hitting a thousand subscribers on youtube there was a huge goal we wanted to hit before training camp. We hit it with a month to spare. So we are we are taking off here. And just personally, I just want to say thank you to everyone who who subscribed to the YouTube. And if you're listening on audio, you can go ahead over to YouTube. You obviously, Brendan's got a nice new background now that he's he's just moved into. We 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 keep our cameras on. It's more interactive, I think, on the YouTube. We go live over here, so you get notifications if we go live after a trade, big signing. We might do it after some games, before games, whatever it is this season. So head over to the YouTube page and hit the subscribe button. It, uh, it goes a long way for us and it's, it's a good way to start building this thing. So uh, we were, we were very pleased obviously. And, and I think these team comparisons that you talked about um, kind of maybe, maybe boosted that. And I mean, yeah, you said they were getting some hate, but like, I don't know if it's, it's not bad hate. It's just, it's other fan bases. And obviously like they're going to get upset. It's, it's obviously we're a sense podcast. It, it was funny. It's just on Twitter. It doesn't matter. But uh so yeah, just if you want to touch on uh, get hitting a thousand subscribers like well before our deadline, um, I think we we hit we probably got another like five hundred in a, the last month and a half maybe or something like that like which which is pretty crazy growth. So we're, we're really impressed. Yeah, we are, and, and yeah, definitely thank you to everyone. I mean, we we've tweeted it out a few times, trying not to be too pushy with it, but at the same time, you know, it, it is kind of meaningful and and it is like a testament to what we're doing, and, and I'm you know it's something to be proud of. So. Uh, yeah, we said training camp. We originally started with the season, which was August or October 11th, uh, and then we pushed it to training camp because it started to to grow a bit faster. And and that's the thing is once it starts growing, it starts to really grow. Like that that's the thing with building accounts and stuff. So uh, yeah, we do really appreciate it. It's been awesome so far. I know like we're not even just having the subscribers now. But we're actually getting the views. People are watching. Like it's not just people blankly subbing. Uh, they're actually watching. We're averaging like a thousand plus views per video. Um, and I just, I'm not even saying that's like brag. I'm just saying that as like, thank you, because it means a lot to be able to see that we're consistently keeping people interested. You know, that's kind of our whole goal uh, with what we're doing here. So yeah. And, and on top of that, it's like, it's been the off season, which I find is, is 
like what I really like about the whole a thousand subs thing is that there hasn't been a single Sens game since we started our podcast. So we've basically been creating content and, and kind of covering, you know, I know the live streams got a ton of views when like all that stuff happened earlier with the Debrinket trade and all that. Um, garnered a lot of interest but yeah i mean people are very supportive and it was awesome because like we were at 900 one day and then the next day it just like shot up and and everybody kind of came in and got us to a thousand which was awesome so yeah thank you to everyone we appreciate it uh, and we want to just keep growing and, and keep uh keep this excitement going throughout the year because i think once the games start you know we get a few live streams in it was a great game it, we get some player reactions in there like it, it'll be awesome so yeah thank you to everyone and and uh we're excited to keep building here it really is just a testament, right? You mentioned the off season. It's a testament to the Sens fan base. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's there's lots of Sens podcasts out there and it's awesome. There's so much content. Uh, and it's just great that there's so much stuff to consume in the off season when they're not doing anything. I think it's kind of funny because last summer, all the moves were kind of bang, bang, bang. And then it was nothing, right? It was Giroud to bring it. Like it was all kind of in a two, three week span. This one was kind of dragged out. It was, they signed Corpusalo. Week later, trade to bring it month or whatever three weeks later signed tarasenko like it was it was kind of spread out so maybe that it, it helps in a way to kind of not you know saturate the talk about the off season and just kind of you, you can spread out the excitement a little bit but um yeah it was it was it's been great and th- this was the plan obviously like we talked about so uh enough about that let's get into our show today episode 31 we are going to talk a little bit we actually have some sense stuff to talk about the uh, first, let's talk about the Senseplex skates. And I wanted to say that because last summer, huge you know, thing was going to Bell Senseplex where they were practicing and taking pictures with all the new guys with Giroux, with the Brinket. And that season is kind of starting to ramp up again as players come in for the season. We'll start to see them roll in, I think, this week, next week. Just get more you know, situated in Ottawa. Um, kind of like last year, but Tarasenko's already here. I think uh, Anton Forsberg was skating, which is a great sign that he's back on the ice and, and fine. And uh, yeah, we got a picture here of Tarasenko in the Sens jersey, helmet, and not the gloves yet. So that'll uh, obviously come. He's got the Rangers gloves still, but uh, it's exciting, man. I think this is probably my favorite part of the offseason is when all the new guys, the prospects like Tyler Clevin, Tyler Boucher, uh, both out on the ice with those guys yesterday. Eric Carlson, newest member of the Pittsburgh Penguins, was out there. So, um, yeah, like I, I don't I don't know if there's a question or like a topic to, to discuss about this, but it really, to me anyway, it just kind of shows how tight this the Ottawa hockey community is, right? I believe, I'm sure Mason McTavish and, and you know, Jack Quinn's injured, but like all those guys would be on the ice too. Like they all skate together. Um, and it's it's pretty cool that there's so many guys who who have roots in Ottawa. It is, yeah. And it seems like it's more every year. Like I know Cody Cece's been a staple since Ottawa drafted him and he's still there as well. Uh, and there's there's a handful of guys like that. I know uh, Scott Sabrin too has been has been there, which is interesting. He signed with the Sharks, by the way. Um, but what I'm really interested about is Anton Forsberg and him being there and actually taking part in what they're doing. Uh, and the fact is that he tore both of his MCLs. So to see him there, you know, coming early, getting the work in, and, and that's a big thing for all of them is coming early. Uh, but Forsberg being back on the ice and, and kind of proving that he is healthy and ready to go, uh, that's something that I think is really important because we've talked about it. Jonas Corposalo signed a five-year contract, mega deal. But at the same time, Anton Forsberg last year, like not like 2021-22, was next level good for Ottawa. So I think if he can come back and, and put in that work and get back to like three quarters of that form, the tandem is going to be unreal. And people really, really severely underrate Forsberg uh, in that tandem. So that's awesome. I put out on Twitter yesterday that I'm, I'm also very intrigued by Tyler Clevin and Tyler Boucher being there. 
because they're both putting in the work and obviously they're turning pro. Like this is going to be their first pro year. Clevin played eight games or something last year for Ottawa. Um, but of course, both are expected to start in the AHL. But I think like if you wanted to try and be bold and push your way to a role with the Senators in the, in the NHL, I think this is a way to do it. It's coming back early, you know, showing the coaches, yeah, I'm going to come to Ottawa early before everybody else. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to skate with Eric Carlson. I'm going to skate with Vlad Tarasenko. Like we're going to get these scrims in. It, it, I don't know. I, I love the look of that especially for Clevin. He seems like he's so determined. Like every time I see Clevin out there and I hear him in an interview, he seems so, so determined to like make things happen and be a, a legitimate NHL player. So obviously, I mean, like I said, I think both Clevin and Boucher will start in the AHL, but I definitely expect to see both get games. And I think this is a great first step. Uh, and I put in my article yesterday, which was about training camp and storylines. I put like, it only takes a few good days at training camp to wow the coaches enough to get a shot on the roster. Right. And so if either of those guys can do it, I said like Boko Imama too. If if they can do it, like you make an impression on the guys. And DJ Smith is very impressionable. He loves when players make a personal connection with them. So uh, if you can do that at all in training camp or before, like they have a good shot, right? So I think, yeah, expect to see Clevin and Boucher play games, but this is awesome to see everybody skating uh, at the Senseplex early. It really is just a ramp up to the season. And I, I mean, training camp will be great because we can break down like, you know, the minute details of, of preseason games and the battles and in depth pairings and the depth lines and forwards and stuff like that. So uh, on that note, a little bit though, on the lines and everything like that, you put out a, I don't want to say a mock roster, kind of the depth chart. You put out the depth chart, you tweeted it out and put a poll on if it's a playoff team or not. And it was a resounding. Yes. Uh, obviously we're sense fans. We love the Ottawa senators. We're not going to, you know, say no, but I, t- to me, I think that number was a little bit surprising be, to be honest, because I think, you know, I don't know how many votes it got, but just I'm under sure 3,000 votes. So just under 3,000 people who who obviously followed the Everyday Sends account and are Sends fans if they do that. Um, but maybe there were some that aren't, and that, that could be the no. But it's telling. I think it's telling about what this fan base expects. And you said it right. It's playoffs or bust according to the fan base, according to the majority of the fan base. So on that note, it, it, like, I don't know. I think this buildup is going to be different because last year it was. It, it, I, I keep mentioning last year because I think we're going to see some similarities in when, you know, when Giroux comes back or starts starts skating, sorry, you know, when Kubelik gets here, when Corpusalo gets here, we're going to see all this fanfare, you know, get to, new, get to know the new guys. It's going to be really similar to last year. But the difference this time is that the core guys, Kachuk, Stutzla, Shabbat, they have last year under their belt. So they know what these high expectations can do, you know, early in a year. And Kachuk even mentioned that. So, I'm really curious to see how the players react to it, the fan base. And I mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of days ago and, and obviously on Twitter pre-sale for the home opener weekend, because it's a back-to-back at home on the weekend, which is a great way to open the season at the Canadian tire center. I'm going to be there with, uh, with Derek Lee, actually from the future sickos podcast, we're going to go together for both games. So it's going to be an awesome, awesome opening weekend. That'll be game two and three for the Sens. I'm just really curious to see if they can ride the hype as long as I don't want to say as long as they did last year. Cause it, it did fall off, but they, they were good in October. I think they were four and two in October or something like that. So um, I'm not really going anywhere with this, but I think that fan vote is very accurate of what we expect. It's not like hopeful. And I know other fan bases are going to say that, but that's just that sports who cares it, you're going to trash on other fan bases. But I think legitimately this is the peak of the rebuild in the sense that now expectations start and now it's you got to hold players accountable if brady kachuk goes out and has a bad game fans are going to hold them accountable because they need to win hockey games 
Uh, so what were your, what was your take on just seeing that discrepancy? Cause that was the biggest thing I, I noticed for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a lot of sense fans, but at the same time, like it's warranted. I don't think that it, it's even just being hopeful. I think that, and, and yes, other fan bases will tell you that, but uh, I think that like it just is the expectation and that goes to show you that's my take from it is not like that has that's going to influence them to make the playoffs or anything. It's just that is what people expect is that that lineup that I posted, which is basically the lineup we've been saying on you know every comparison and we'll get into later uh, that that lineup is going to be good enough to make the playoffs in some capacity. So I think that 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 it was like 87.4% yes or something for it being a playoff lineup. And again, yeah, it relates to like how it looks on paper, but I think moreover, it's just people expecting the team to do that. And I don't think you could, there's a single sense fan out there right now who would tell you they don't expect the playoffs this year. Not that I've seen maybe a few, but like if we're not expecting the playoffs after six years of rebuilding, I don't know what we're even doing here. So, I mean, I kind of expected it last year. So um, if they can stay healthy, I don't think there's any excuse to miss. That's kind of my take on it. And and yeah, I think... Um, that poll was just kind of a good representation of what people expect as fans. So yeah, I, I'm, I don't really have anything else on that just because, you know, that's really my, my only takeaway is that people are ready for the next step here and that there's not going to be any more uh, nonsense. Like after a terrible five, nothing lost to Chicago where everybody was cheating, people are going to be angry and it's not just going to be like angry. They're going to be calling people, players, coaches, they're going to be calling them out, right? Like, Michael Anlauer is going to be forced into making dramatic changes if this team starts like five and 10 or something. You know what I mean? So I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think that if things do go into like a dumpster fire state uh, unexpectedly, it'll be kind of interesting to see how fast Michael Anlauer is going to step in and be like, all right, I gave you guys a shot. This is it. I'm replacing you. I like that. I'm taking over and really taking the reins. So we'll see. But uh, it'll be interesting. And I thought this poll was uh, a good, good showing of that. I'm glad you mentioned Anlauer too, because it just reminded me uh, earlier this week, Bruce Garriott reports that uh, he's going to be taking over early September, which was the expectation, but it's kind of in writing now, whatever. They're just shoring everything up. And that's exciting because that's right before training camp. I believe training camp opens September 16th, 15th, 17th, like around Somewhere there. It's like there, mid, yeah. middle, middle of September, a little later in September, maybe. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's exciting because, yeah, like we said, the expectation will be different. And it's not not assuming that Ann Lauer is going to be some hardo who, who like, like the Vegas Golden Knights, is not expecting that he'll be like, uh, I think it's Bill Foley in Vegas, um, who's just cutthroat and has had three coaches in six years and they just won a cup. Like they've been very successful under that model. Not that Ann Lauer is going to be like that, but we can expect that he'll be a little less lenient than the past four or five years have been, where you go in and, and I don't want to say the team was expecting to compete, but the message to the fans was that we are not rebuilding anymore. That was two years ago and they still made the playoffs. So that kind of stuff, I don't think will fly under a new ownership. And I think that's a fair expectation too. So it's exciting that he's picking, uh, you know, picking up the reins early before the season starts. So there won't be any, you know, leeway it'll be, you know, cause he can go in and address the training camp. I think that's the, the biggest thing, right? It's, it's, I think Melnick did it every year, but you know, you go in and just talk to the first tryout and just say like, oh, okay, we're here. We're expecting this, blah, blah, blah. I think that'll be good. I think that'd be great. And it'll be a great video if there's cameras there and stuff like that. So um, really exciting. Alfredson's also coming back in the role and it seem, seems like it'll be a player development role. I, I, I gotta be honest. I'm a little, if it's just player development and I'm not knocking, you know, like Sean Donovan or Jesse Winchester, Wade Redden now even, it's great. And you need former players to be doing that because they know the city, they know how to become a pro here, all of that. I feel like if Alfie is just the head of player development, 
personally, I'd be a little bit disappointed. I don't know about you, but I want him to be in a more more face of the franchise kind of role. And I know some people will say he can't be president of hockey operations because he doesn't have any experience, and that's valid. Like that's completely fair. But you know, like Jason Spezza, I think was special assistant in Toronto. Like I, I feel like he could do something like that. And maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he just wants to be a player development guy and just get to know the players on that kind of level. But what's your take? Because that was, I think that's what Bruce said. It will be. It's expected it'll be a player development role, um, and or maybe a significant player development role. I, I, I can't really remember the wording, but it wasn't a you know front office position kind of thing. So what was your take just on on that part of of the report? Yeah, I mean, I think Spets is a good kind of comparison as to what we were more expecting, but at the same time. Uh, Alfie has a ton of like, like you said, it depends on what he wants to do, right? He's not going to put himself in a situation where he's not, he's just going to want to leave again pretty quickly. Um, like he, he's been working a lot with the players is what we've seen over the last few years. Like he went to, to lunch with Brady Kachuk not that long ago. I mean, or at that, like a, a few years ago, even, I don't even know. It feels like it was recent, but, um, he's been on the ice, like skating. I know players have even talked about him coming out there and skating with them and like, how good of a role model he's been for them. And obviously like he he's a face for Ottawa and for the Sens and a great representation of the city. And that's awesome for new players, especially too, to be able to kind of get that. But I think just on the ice as a player, he can give them so much. I do agree with you in the sense that we don't hear a lot about the player development coaches. So that's kind of underwhelming about Alfie, right? Like for Sean Donovan and Jesse Winchester and all them, we haven't really, I mean, Redden got quite a bit of hype at the beginning, but we haven't really heard about a lot of what they're doing. So it's kind of under the radar. Uh, whereas if he's in a Spezza type role, Alfie would be more like on the TV during games and like out there and people would really know him uh, and see him all the time, which would be sweet. But I think, like I said, I just think that he probably wants to do more of the player development stuff based on what he's done in the past. I don't know if he's ever talked about like a management type role, but I know that he has spent a lot of time with the players and developing them. And I'm sure that seeing Redden's impact too, and, and obviously they've known each other for a long time. I'm sure that also kind of pushed him towards like, okay, I think I could make a real difference with these players. And I'm not going to complain if Daniel Alfredson's out there on the ice with uh, with some of our young players coming up. I think he could give uh, give guys like Drake Batherson a ton of information about how to play uh, certain ways that they might not be right now. So yeah, I mean, either way, I think having Alfie back, we'll take it. We'll be happy. Um, and, and who knows, right in the future, maybe he starts there and he decides, hey, I'd like to try something else. I'm sure that Michael Anlauer is not going to you know, slap Alfie in the face and tell him you're not allowed to do this. Like he's going to be able to to promote him if he wants to do that, I'm sure. So I think for now, I'll just be happy with uh, with Alfie coming back in any capacity. And then, you know, hopefully the team will produce content around him a little bit too to kind of uh, push that narrative of him being back in the organization and not just let him kind of go under the radar like some of the player development coaches do. But uh, either way, yeah, he's going to be out there with our players. And that's a, a pretty notable feat in my mind. So actually, that maybe that's on me because I think when I hear player development, I'm thinking because what Winchester and Redden and and Donovan do, I'm I I could be completely off here. I don't know how closely they work with like Kachuk and Batherson and all them. I think it's more prospects, like stuff like stuff. now in the summer, like with with Boucher and Clevin, like yeah. like with the actual prospects. So if it if Alfie's doing that, like I do want him hands on with the players, and maybe a management role he wouldn't be able to do that. So that makes sense then. Um, you almost want him as like an assistant coach kind of, right? Like you want him to be not, not the, the brunt of, of criticism because like we, we talked about it earlier in the summer, like if he, would you want him as a head coach and, and short term maybe, but like head coaches die and, and not obviously literally, but they, they, they don't have long lifespans most of the time in markets because people get sour, they lose team loses that sports. Um, so we can move off of that. Let's, 
Let's move into the Boston Bruins. This is uh, this is going to be a fun one again. We've done the Florida Panthers. If you want to check out episode thirty, and then episode twenty nine was the I'm blanking. Well, who did we compare them to? The Buffalo Sabers. There we go. Um, so two teams the Sens were very close to in the standings last year. Actually, um, this one not so much. It was a very big difference. Now, the Bruins have gotten worse this off season. I don't think that's up for debate. I think any Bruins fan would tell you that too. Um, they not only lost their first line center and franchise star in Patrice Bergeron, they and captain. They also lost their second line center and also a franchise legend, David Krejci. And then they also lost Taylor Hall. They traded him to Chicago in a move that I guess was for cap reasons because given even after all these losses, they are still cap-strapped right now. They can't really do anything else. Uh, so before we even pull up the lineup sheet, I know I've seen as soon as the two centermen retired, I know that people were linking Mark Shifley to uh boston and just but if he's on the market with winnipeg that could be a, maybe a mid-season thing i don't know but as it stands right now we are going to you know august 18th we are comparing the sends roster to the current bruins depth chart this is gonna be a fun one because last summer the bruins were the team everyone said oh you know what maybe they'll fall off no way they can make the playoffs again then they turn around and have the best season in, in nhl history you know, like regular season which was kind of funny but i think this year there's actually valid reason to think they will fall off so Without further ado, let's pull it up and let's uh, let's talk about the Boston Bruins compared to the Ottawa Senators. So if you you can start here with this uh, top line. For sure. So I want to change this a little bit because I know that like Marshan, like this top line that's on here is Marshan, Coyle, and Pasternak. But their actual lineup, I think, is is based on what I've seen is more like Van Riemsdyk, Zaka, and Pasternak, which is like, I mean, again, we're not, we're doing lines, but we're kind of more doing tiers in a way. So, like, if we look at, we can, we can do it based on the depth chart here just because that's what we have up. Uh, so, we'll do Marshan, Coyle, and Pasternak. And I think for Ottawa, like, we've got Kachuk, Stutzla, and Tarasenko is kind of like their first line, right? I mean, that's, that's the expectation is going to be. So, um, I think Boston's first line is the one, one part where you're going to have a, a bit of trouble kind of combating them because Marshan and Pasternak are these two absolute powerhouse dogs of the league and everybody knows that. Uh, I think that you see those two names. And, and of course, I, I want to preface this by saying that I do agree with a lot of people in the sense that losing Bergeron and Krejci is like ridiculously big for this. I don't know why people are looking past that. I mean, we're talking about not just like two amazing players and, and you know, lights the, the heart of the team in Bergeron, but your top two centers like that centers a, a critical position. And you've just lost both of yours in one summer. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy. I know Boston keeps defying the odds of age, but like. My goodness, I just don't know how they can keep going with losing players like that. But regardless, they still have Marshan and Pasternak, who are obviously, like I said, two major players. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see that Marshan was less than a point per game last year, actually. But uh, Boston, I don't know. Uh, Boston, to me, was very strange. I, I was like blown away that they managed to set that record and that they were so good. I think a lot of that has to do with what we'll get to later, which is down the list, maybe uh, not the forwards as much, but... Yeah, we'll start. I mean, if we're talking lines, Marshan, Coyle, Pasternak versus Kachuk, Stutzla, and we'll say Tarasenko, like, it's tough because Pasternak is the best player there. It's like Matthew Kachuk for Florida. I think he, right now, like, 61 goals last year. I think he is far and away the best player on that list, which then you could kind of say, like, yeah, I would take Boston's full top line over Ottawa's just because you get Pasternak, which is like this ridiculous player, right? Um uh, obviously, Stutzla is going to be taking over Coyle. Coyle's certainly not a first-line center. He's probably a third-line center. 
uh, who's just bumped up, and, and you can switch him with Zaka there if you want. But regardless, I mean, he's going to be a top six center for them next year, so like that that's kind of not good for them. Uh, and then Marshan, of course, is still your your little rat that everybody hates, and he's you know maybe falling off a little bit with production as we're seeing. He's 35 now, which is you know you can expect him. He's kind of around that Giroud age. Uh, but if we're comparing him to to you know Kachuk, I mean. I would take Brady because Brady is like a better Marshan at this point and he's in his prime. So yeah, for me, I think Pasternak, we can go tiers, Pasternak, number one by far. And then you would probably put Marshan, Kachuk, uh, Stutzla, and then maybe you could put Tarasenko and then I'd put Coyle another tier down from Tarasenko. So I think Ottawa has kind of the edge with the, the six players that we're comparing here. But I think that Pasternak being far and away the best player right now also gives Boston that kind of uh, you could you could say you'd take the Boston's group just because of Pasternak. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Pasternak's one of those guys who kind of trumps everything, if that makes sense, right? I think I think it was like Barkov and Kachuk with the Panthers, and we'll admit that. Obviously, it's not not an admission. I think it's just a fact. Like Pasternak had an unbelievable season last year. He was a heart candidate um, or a finalist, I, I think. And you, you know what? I'm actually looking at this cap friendly thing, and obviously it's cap friendly, so the the cap it matters. I believe. The depth chart is organized by position and how much they make. You know, if I'm looking at that, because, you know, Charlie Coyle, I don't think is better than Zaka. Like, I think Zaka is going to be their top center, um, but he makes less. So I think that's how they're organizing it. And listen, but that doesn't really change anything. Like, Pavel Zaka is a good player. He's probably a second line center at his peak. He had a great kind of career revival, I would say, last year in in Boston. Um, But yeah, I think that I'm getting the gist of it now, but. Um, I think that's fair though, because I think the Sens you could do the same thing. I think it would just bump down Tarasenko and put Giroux there, and then those are your, or I guess, no, yeah, that that would make sense. So, anyway, uh, I think you're right. I think it's tough. The difference with the Bruins though versus other teams when we're talking about this depth chart and oh, you can, you know, like the Panthers were a big, uh, I don't want to say culprit, but they were big on the fact that their third line had guys who played on the first line um, in the playoffs. Like they they move things around a lot. With this Bruins lineup, I don't, other than Jake DeBrusque, there's no one else who I could see being in that top line spot. You know what I mean? Like, and he won't be because he's not better than Marshawn or Pasternak. So it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, the top line might not be exactly that, but it doesn't matter because none of the guys below them are going to move the needle to the point where it's that much better than the Sens top line. So as a line, I think I'd still take the Sens. Um, but you're right. Pasternak is the best player there for sure. Marshawn Kachuk Stutzel probably in the same tier than Tarasenko and then Zaka Coyle, whatever you want to say. So um, that's the top line. I believe the longer the next three lines we're going to do here, I think I know who we're taking. Um, but we'll, we'll I'll, I'll just start with the second line here. Let's just say Zaka slash Coyle, whatever, uh, over Josh Norris. I'm taking Norris if he's healthy, obviously. We're going to keep saying that every lineup comparison, but if Josh Norris is healthy, he he's proved he can be a number one center in the NHL. Um, so that's value right there. I think that's worthy enough to take him or even just take this line. Uh, I like Trent Frederick a lot. He's not a second line player though. So I'm taking Batherson over him or whoever it is. Also, we should have mentioned, uh, I, I, I don't know if it came out, but I think it was Steve Warren, the hockey news. Pro- I think he did an interview with Batherson and he said he'd be open to playing the left wing in lieu of Tarasenko playing. Right. So that, that's kind of something to consider. I think that's good to know because we, we, we were not struggling, but had that in mind, you know, being Bathurst's right wing, whatever. Well, they um, said, they said for one, I don't remember who said it, it might've been Steve Warren as well, but they said that Giroux and Batherson had both already yes. offered to play left wing. So that's why I kind of yeah. put Tarasenko on the first line is because I think 
that everybody's kind of accepting that's how it's going to be, and one of them is going to have to move over. Yeah, well, I think I think Giroux's done it in his career before. I yep. think he did it in Philly a lot when his, he moved his to the best wing. So was on left wing. Well, there you go. Yeah, he had a hundred points when he was a left winger, so that's that's good. Um, but yeah, Batherson would obviously be the first time in his career. So anyway, regardless, I'm taking Ottawa's second line in a heartbeat. I'm taking Batherson, Norris, and Giroux over DeBrusque, Zaka, and Frederick. I don't think that's crazy to say. Bruins fans might disagree. I again, I like Pavel Zaka. I think he had a great year. Um, I just I'm skeptical of him playing in such a top role because. Listen, the other thing, it's it's one thing to say, oh, they're not as good as Bergeron, they're not as good as Krejci. It's not just that, it's taking the matchups away from, you know, like Pavel Zaka is going to have to go up against Austin Matthews. Like that's your matchup. And I don't know if as a Bruins fan, you can honestly tell me like you're confident in that. And I could be off base. Maybe they did match up their third line against Matthews when they played, but it's just an example. Like they they had so much depth and it's gone now because their two top centers are gone. Um, it's kind of a disaster when you think about it, right? It's like, imagine if tomorrow Stutzel and Norris just retired, you know, like how, how exactly. Yeah. Like you can still be bullish on Pinto and, and like what he brings. And Zaka's like decent, like right in his prime too. He's a great player, but he's not a superstar franchise center. So that alone, I'm taking the Sens second line in a heartbeat over the Bruins. Me too. I mean, like our second line in this case would be Giroux, Norris and Batherson and I mean I think all three of those players have the edge on on Boston's like Trent Frederick like you said he's being thrown into a greater role than he should be just because they don't have the depth like they don't have the players to do it I mean if you want to say like Van Riemsdyk can be up there well he's got less production than Frederick last year like he's he's old like I mean I'm sorry but Boston like the thing that stands out about them and, and this is what I said off the top is you can't just lose your first and second line center and then have depth like it just doesn't work that way I mean if they went out and and traded for a Shifley or somebody, maybe. But in this case, you look at the lineup and your your top six centers, like Pavel Zak and Charlie Coyle, I mean, both of those guys would probably be best served, you know, in the middle six. And Coyle, I'd say, on the third line. Zaka, like you said, he had a little revival year there. Who knows if he sustains that, for one. But I think your point was great that now he's got to go into that first-line role. Like, he had the luxury of playing behind Bergeron Krejci last year, right? So he was able to kind of... It's like Pinto. I like that comparison. Zach is ahead of him right now, obviously, but I like the comparison for roles just because Pinto kind of got thrust into that second line role. Like, I think it would have been similar where he had, if he had the luxury of playing on the third line, he would have done even better than he did last year. And I think that we can expect that next year is now he's got, you know, the depth in front of him to allow him to focus on his individual game like Zaka was able to behind Bergeron Krejci. Now they're going to tell Zaka, well, we need you to do a whole lot more than you did last year, even though you put up almost 60 points. We now need you to take over the defensive responsibilities. We need you to do, you know, these crazy matchups against the best centers in the league. You got to play Connor McDavid. You got to face Austin Matthews. You got to face, guess who? Tim Stutzla. That's what they're going to be saying. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Zaka, good player, but in a greater role than he should be. And that kind of is Boston's entire forward corp, to be honest with you, aside from Pasternak and Marchand, like DeBrusque too, I guess. But they're they're kind of all being thrust into greater roles because they just don't have the top heavy star power anymore. Um, which is forcing other guys to step up. So definitely taking, uh, and you could make it Tarasenko, whoever you want. I'm taking Ottawa's second line of Giroux, Norris, and, and Batherson over Frederick, Zaka, Slash Coyle, uh, and DeBrusque. I mean, to me, it's just a pretty clear choice, and we can move on to the third line there for you. Yeah, so this one again, I like Morgan Geeky. Uh, I do. I'm still taking Pinto over him. I think he had a, he had a good year in Seattle, but... Again, I I went when when Daniel Sprong wasn't um, qualified as an RFA, 
there was a lot of talk. Oh, the Sens should get him, and he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but personally, and it's just a personal bias. Seattle was such a perfect team last year. Like every forward they had produced like a middle six winger. Um, so to me, I don't I don't want to say it's a red flag, but I would be wary of just plucking one guy from that system and then putting him on my lineup and saying, okay, do it again, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe his production will go up. He plays more minutes and stuff, but that again, though, like nine goals, 19 assists in 69 games last year for, for geeky. That's not crazy for a, a guy on, on Seattle. That that's kind of fourth line, third line ish numbers. Right. Um, which again, numbers can be arbitrary. It depends on your team, whatever is ice time. Um, but I'm taking Pinto over Morgan geeky. I think that's fair. Um, and Van Riemsdyk, I do, I do like him still. He's just, he's older. I'm not sure what he's got left to give in terms, because he, he's, he plays that, you know, I don't want to say power forward, but he, he's a, he's a big body in front of the net and he's 34. Like that's the kind of game that takes a toll on you. And he was on some bad Philadelphia teams the last couple of years. So maybe that kind of skews his stats a little bit. I could see him having success, you know, power play wise in, in Boston. He could honestly be a guy where if he finds something, he's a candidate to move up the lineup, right? He's a guy to replace Trent Frederick. So maybe that'll be what it is at the end of the day. Um, but I mean, Jacob Loco, he, he's by far obviously the youngest player in their uh, forward group. I think it's a Loco, Loco. I, I don't really know how to pronounce it there, but um, I'm taking Ottawa's third line. I'm taking Kubalik, Pinto, and Greg, Joseph. I won't be Joseph, but yeah, like one of those guys. I'm taking that whole line over the Bruins one again. And I don't, I mean, it's two new guys for, for Boston, which is, again, you, you kind of don't really know, but it's two new guys who weren't overly impressive on the teams they were on last year. Right. So that's kind of my stance. And I'm just going to save myself some time. Cause I don't want to go over the fourth line too much. I'm also taking Ottawa's fourth line. Given Patrick Brown was in Ottawa. I think that's fair. Lucic. I don't know what I, what else he has left to give. I'm still taking Ottawa's fourth line over Boston. So bottom six, I'm taking Ottawa. I mean, I don't know. Like after seeing some of the replies from other fan bases to this series, I almost purposely am making my brain like try to be non-biased by like being like, oh yeah, I really like that that one player. I really like James Van Riemsdyk just to to make it like more even because I feel like I'm being biased just completely favoring Ottawa. But in this case, like I don't know how you can't. I don't know how you can look at this bottom six. Maybe Boston fans come in and they say, well, Van Riemsdyk or, or Frederick or whoever's there, like the Ridley Gregg's not a proven player, so I would take them over him. Okay, fine, whatever. It doesn't matter. Ottawa still has the edge with like the other five players in the bottom six. I mean, we're talking like Van Riemsdyk, Geeky, Lauko, Lucic, Patrick Brown, and AJ Greer. I mean, these guys are, are almost all fourth line players at this point, and and some of them are fringe NHL players. Patrick Brown didn't even have a consistent role in Ottawa's terrible bottom six last year. Uh, so I mean, for me, yeah, like we're we're gonna go with Ottawa, where it's Greg Pinto, uh, Kubalik, and then unknown on the left wing, a prospect Yuri Schmikal, somebody. Uh, Mark Kastelik and um, kind of an unknown on the right wing as well, McEwen or Parker Kelly or a prospect. So Ottawa's fourth line again, we don't really know how it's going to shake out. There's various different ways it could. Uh, maybe Boston's fourth line is better just because Ottawa has like, like if it's Parker Kelly, Mark Kastelik and, and Zach McEwen, I might favor Boston a little bit just because I'm not huge on that trio. But uh, regardless, I think that's kind of minor and, and we're going to be taking Ottawa's bottom six as a whole in any case, right? So uh, I think it's going to get more interesting here for Ottawa and Boston on the defense and, and in the goalies, because that's where Boston 
you know, they might be one of the only teams who could really stack up to Ottawa's defense on paper, I think. So uh, for the forwards, I think we're kind of, we, we're both in agreement and, and are, are completely non-biased take. We, uh, we absolutely favor Ottawa. And I think that I'm going to be bold here and say, I think that all the fans and then the Leaf fans and everybody who inserts themselves into the replies, they can even agree that Ottawa's forward core is better than, than Boston's. I mean, I, I just, I look at this group and they have no depth in Boston. You know, if one of those top guys has an injury, they're absolutely screwed. Like they, they have nobody, very little star power, but also very little depth. I think Ottawa has star power and depth aside from their fourth line right now. Um, so yeah, full on forward core, Ottawa wins that group, but I'm not going to discount Boston entirely because their strengths lie below, which I'll move down to. Uh, if you want to start on the defense, you can hit on, if you want to do the top four again, little top four comparison, and then we'll get into the other stuff. Yeah, so this is the thing with the Bruins, right? We're, we're really going to see this year, I think, because, you know, we mentioned, obviously, the depth for the forwards took a massive hit this summer. Um, the defense kind of stayed the same. I think they added, obviously, Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, I don't know who they lost. Oh, they lost uh, Connor Clifton, so kind of replaced the same kind of player. Um, I think Clifton plays with a little bit of bite, but Shattenkirk's a great player, too, like just for a depth offensive defenseman, let's say. Um, yeah, look. This is where it gets interesting because I think that top four for the Bruins and all, like, look, Charlie McAvoy is the best defenseman on either team. Same situation to me as uh, Dalene in Boston that we had. Um, Lindholm had a great year last year. I, I just, it's, it's hard because we haven't really seen Ottawa's top four in at least a 20 game stretch play like that. Um, we, we know Chikrin's a great player. Obviously Shabbat has the talent. Sanderson and Zoo will work well for sure. I'm going to take Boston's top four and just because it's worked. And I think that's a fair stance or point to take like Grizzlick and Brandstrom are probably not that far apart when you think about it, but in terms of the lineup and how they're working, like uh, I don't know, man, like it, it is close though. You're right. And I, I do think that it's because it's so close. I'm just going to take Boston's because McAvoy is the best player. If, if, and I, I don't think that's crazy to say, um, that being said, there's still more star power in Ottawa's top four than there is in Boston's. Um, you know, I think Lindholm runs the power play for the Bruins. Uh, the Sens have three guys who can do that. They've got Sanderson killing penalty. Like, like they've got the potential. And obviously, again, I keep mentioning every episode, Jake Sanderson's the X factor. So if he pops off next season and becomes some Norris candidate out of the blue and gets on par with Charlie McAvoy, then it's a different conversation. But right now, I'm taking Boston's top four and I'll just skip ahead to the bottom pair quick. I'm going to take Ottawa's because I, I really believe in Eric Branstrom, obviously. Um, and I, I think I'm looking at some of these contracts too. How is Derek Forbert making $3 million? Like what are, what are they doing? I think I, that's actually kind of shocking to me. I'm not going to lie. You know, you look at, look at the cap hits on this blue line. Uh, like every player that the Sens have is cheaper except Carlo and Grizzlick, but I guess Sanderson, like it's that's actually kind of shocking to me. And I know it makes sense. They're different stages of their career and all that, but um, yeah, I can see why this team is up against the cap. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. And, and I think you're right with the whole it's work thing. And that's kind of a big part of why people come into the comments when we post mock lineups and stuff about Ottawa is that they haven't proven anything yet. And, and they're top four on paper, full of stars. I think one awesome thing for Ottawa is that you said McAvoy's the best player right now, absolutely. I think they just need one, and I think all three are capable. They need one of Shabbat, Chikrin, or Sanderson 
to elevate to that level. And I think that all three are extremely capable of doing that. And as long as one of them does and kind of emerges as, because right now I'd say that, that Shabbat and Chikrin are kind of top 30 defensemen. That's how I'd label them. And then Sanderson, obviously he's only, he was a rookie, so it's hard to kind of peg where he is. But um, those two being top 30, like if one of them can drop into, jump into top 15 next year, that's huge, right? And then Sanderson comes up to be top 30 and it just keeps climbing. Something like that. Having three defensemen who, who are at that level is huge. I think if we do the tiers again for this, you've got McAvoy, number one. And then you go down, you've got Shabbat, Chikrin, Sanderson, and Lindholm. And then you've got, and I actually really like Brandon Carlo, but then you've got Carlo, Zub, Grizzlick. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that Ottawa has like, it's kind of similar to Buffalo where Ottawa has three players in that second tier in my mind. And Boston has one, but then Boston has the only player in the top tier. So like Darlene, you can almost say, and you could see people saying, well, McAvoy kind of plays that trump card, as you mentioned, with, with Pasternak up front, where you could almost argue you'd take Boston's top four just because they have McAvoy, who pushes you to the next level, uh, despite Ottawa having a little more depth and star power, if that makes any sense. Like, you know what I mean? They have three guys in that second tier, and I'd say they have three guys who are above Boston's guys, but then McAvoy's above them, which makes it kind of complicated. Um, I'm going to agree with you that I'd take Boston's top four because we've seen it. But at the same time, I think that Ottawa's potential on defense is significantly higher than Boston's. And I think that, uh, as I mentioned, if one of, you know, Chikrin, Shabbat, or Sanderson can elevate to be a top 15 defenseman per se, uh, I think that I would take Ottawa's in, in that event. But we need to see it. We need to see Chikrin stay healthy for more than half the year. We need to see, um, you know, Sanderson take another step, even though he was so good, but really, you know, be sustain his performance, be consistent. Um, and then, yeah, the bottom pairing, I'll take Ottawa's too, because I love Eric Brandstrom. Uh, and, and similar to that, I, I love Branstrom's potential. I think that he could very well price himself out of the range this year. I think he could solidify himself as a, an everyday NHLer, and somebody will give him a top four role next year. That's kind of how I feel about him, uh, or they'll trade him or whatever Whatever will happen. But um, yeah, I think Boston will take their defense for now because it's worked, because they just set the all-time record for wins and whatever it was. Um, it's hard to, to kind of bypass them in that case, but Ottawa's potential is higher in my mind. Yeah, that's fair. And, and you can make the argument that Boston's decor reached their potential last year because they had the best season in NHL history. Like we're not, I don't want to skip over that because it was, it was a fantastic year. It was a perfect season for Boston, but then they just, they just choked in the playoffs. But like that, that's reasonable to say that Ottawa's potential is higher given that Boston just hit their potential. So you have to assume they're going to drop off from that. Like this will not be a 65 win team next season. There's no way. And if they are, I'd be, even more shocked. But that being said, uh, goaltending, let's move to goaltending. I'm going to take Boston's goaltending again. Like I think, and I don't know, the, the more we talk about this, obviously I, I said this for the last teams, you get more of a, a sense of what the teams are like, their depth charts. Um, it, it just, it is closer than, than people might make it out to seem. And I think that's, what's important. And it's not that, you know, saying Boston's going to fall out of the playoffs and Ottawa's going to make it. That's not saying Boston's a bad team or that Ottawa's overall a better team. It's just that they, they every again, kind of like Buffalo a little bit, everything went well for Boston last season. They had a perfect year. Like Olmark played out of his mind. He had a historic season. That won't happen again, right? Like that can't be expected to happen again. So I'm I'm curious to see how the goaltending holds up. Like if they stay healthy, you know, if... Well, this goes according to play. Like, look, uh, quick math 49 plus 37. Like, how many games did a backup goalie play there, right? Whereas Ottawa had seven different goalies play for them. 
So if you can get that those kind of numbers from Forsberg and Corpusalo, regardless of what their save percentage is, just the consistency alone uh, will go a long way for Ottawa. So I think that can be a, a model there for um, for the sense of all. But right now, just based on last year, you have to take the best goalie tandem in the league. I don't think it, I think it's it'd be kind of crazy to not take that. No, I'm definitely taking Ottawa. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, yeah, I would definitely take Boston. I mean, you've got Allmark, but I think, as you said, it's notable that he only, like, a 9.38 save percentage is completely ridiculous. I didn't even know it was that good. Uh, obviously, won the Vesna, but, and Swayman, too, 9.20. Oh, my God. I just keep seeing these things, and it makes my eyes pop. Uh, I just think that, like look, you look said... Look at their records. Look at their records. That's, crazy. that's insanity. 40 and 6 and 24 and 6. 40 and 6. Like that that is wild. But like you said, I mean, the funny thing about Allmark is he he wasn't really that good before coming to Boston. Like he I it's weird. I guess their defense did wonders too and stuff, but he he definitely deserves credit. I mean he won the Vesna. Uh I just think that it's gonna be hard for them to repeat that. And I also think that having Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci is critical. Like like centers play a huge defensive role on the team. And now you're again, you're asking Zach and Coyle to step into top six roles. Like Boston's defensive game as a whole, not their defense, but their defensive game should be expected to regress because they're losing, you know, the Selkie, consistent Selkie winner in Bergeron, who is, is like, that's a massive deal, by the way. And then Krejci, too, who is a great two-way guy. Um, their, their defensive game as a whole should definitely regress, and that's going to hurt their goalies. That's just how hockey works. Like, if you have a great defensive team, obviously, you're like, Allmark and Swimmin had fantastic individual years, but it's going to help you if you have one of the best defenses in the league in front of you, right, as a whole. So I think that can be expected to hurt them. I also think that it's just... Seeing those numbers, it's so hard to repeat st- something like that. And Boston as a team, too, where, where they set the win record, it's so, so hard to repeat something like that. Uh, you've said it. Everything has to go perfectly. You know, you, you need to not suffer injuries. You need to, to you know, exceed expectations and, and get the bounces. And, like, it's kind of the opposite of Ottawa, right? I mean, they had the terrible luck where they, their expected goals was so, so much higher than their actual goals. Um, It was, like, the opposite for Boston. So, I think you're taking Boston's goalies. Everybody 100% should be on board with that. I don't think there's any argument. But I just think it's notable that, you know, they shouldn't be expected to post these same numbers. And I think the Boston's defensive game will regress uh, as their whole team will because it's just natural. Like, they've been good forever. They they What was that, 2011 where they, they went to the Cup? They won the Cup? Like, it's been forever that they've been competing. So I think at some point, and we said it last year, yes, but I think now this year this is more serious because they lost their top six centers. Um, they have to be expected to regress. Like they can't keep doing this. However, I will say, and I'll ask you, we're, we're going to keep asking this question. Do you think they're a playoff team next year? I, yeah, but there's, there's more than eight playoff teams in the, in the East. So that's, that's a, that's fair to say too. I think like, I think this team could still make the playoffs. Um, I just don't think they'll be as good as they were last year. A couple things though, too. So you mentioned the Bruins won in 2011. They've had more than a decade of just unbelievable success. So they won the cup in 2011. In 2013, they won, uh, or they went to the finals. In 2014, they won the President's Trophy. 2015, they don't make the playoffs. I don't think they made it in 2016. 2017, lose to the Sens. Um, they won the President's Trophy again in 2020 on that cut short year, which I didn't know. I had to look, I had to check the standings that year. They won it on aggregate, I guess, because they didn't finish the year, but still a fantastic season. Went to the finals the year before again. So, both years they went to the finals in 2013 and 2019. They followed up by winning the president's trophy. They again, uh, then win the president. That's what, that's what three president's trophies in the last decade, three finals appearances, one cup. Like it's, it's been unbelievable success for, uh, one of the 
most storied franchises in the NHL. But you're right. A, a drop-off should be expected. And the more you look at this list, if you take a look at the expiry uh, section, just contract-wise, everyone except for Lindholm, McAvoy, and Pasternak is pretty much up in the next two years, uh, at least. So to me, that says that's a team primed to tear it all down and kind of retool on the fly. Um, and I would not be shocked if it happens sooner or later. Some great news. The Sens have their draft pick probably, or the Red Wings draft pick. So in a way, you're kind of hoping that one of them, like, I don't know, the, the conditions are crazy on it, but it's something to keep an eye on as a Sens fan. And we mentioned it when they traded for Debrinket. It's awesome because the Red Wings and the Bruins are both in the division. You get a choice or they don't, you don't get a choice, but you're getting one of those picks at some point. So beating them becomes that much more important for your draft stock, for everything. So um, I'm really impressed with the way the Sens stack up against them. And my second thing I wanted to hit on after that is last year, let's go over the four times these two teams played. This is the Sens last year matched up against the best team in NHL history in the regular season. That can't be understated. They beat them in the home opener. That was a fun game to watch. Beat them again at Christmas in Ottawa in a shootout. Pretty like Boston was pretty good. I think Cam Talbot dominated that game. Sens win in a shootout. The next two games they played were in Boston on the second half of a back-to-back for the Sens and the Bruins didn't play the day before both times. And I think it was like three, two in regulation and three, one in regulation for Boston. The Sens match up very well against this team and they played them very well last year. So a couple things that makes me believe in the Sens core, just when they have to face a tall task, beat a good team. It also tells me that head to head, even better. Now I like the Sens way more than the Bruins, just based on what I saw last year. And the Sens probably got, a little bit better, let's say. I'll, I'll be modest. I think they got a little bit better overall with, with health and with the moves they made. Uh, and the Bruins got worse. I don't think a Bruins fan can argue that. So um, that's where I stand. And I, I do think Ottawa's a better team than Boston on paper. Um, so we'll see. I think I think before Buffalo and Florida, I think this is the most resounding, like Ottawa's a better team on paper. I think the other two were closer than I thought originally. Um, but this would be a team I would not be shocked if they missed the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I will say that I still expect them to compete for the playoffs despite being this this kind of regressed team, but mainly that's because they still have this gold tending tandem, which was insane, and, and it's just hard to say they're not going to be good next yeah. year, right? So they also, they also have a great coach, yeah, uh, Jim Montgomery. We should not skip over that. He's a fantastic coach. Yeah, like I think if any team's going to make it work, it's Boston, just because they, they've done it for so, so long now um, that it's hard to just be like, no, they're going to suck next year. You can't do that just because they've proven it time and time again, so... Until they do suck, sort of like how Ottawa, until they are good, like nobody's going to kind of say it just because it's hard to, to do it. So same thing for Boston. I love your point there, too, about the draft pick, because the condition, if I'm not mistaken, is that Detroit gets to pick whether they give their own pick or Boston's pick to Ottawa. Uh, and that's next year's first. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but if Boston, Boston's original trade to Detroit was top 10 protected for 2024. Oh, yeah. So if the Brew, like, let's say they're both or no. If the Bruins, yeah, if the Bruins are a bottom 10 team this year and have a bottom 10 lottery pick, the Red Wings are obviously going to have to defer that to 2025. So I believe, I think then the Red Wings get the choice to either give the Sens their own 2024 pick, depending where it is, or just defer to next year. And then they do the same charade of picking the worst one to give to Ottawa. I think that's how it works. So ideally next season, if we want a 2024, you want both the Red Wings and the Bruins to be mediocre. 
from <laughs> 10 to 15, like yeah. just miss the playoffs kind of, which I think is fair. I think they're both, I don't think they'll be bottom 10 teams, but if they miss the playoffs, they'll be right on that lottery cusp. Yeah, I don't think Boston will be a bottom 10 team. I mean, you never know. Things can happen quickly, as we know in Ottawa, but I, I do think that both, there, there's a good chance that both Detroit and Boston are like in that 10 to 20 range where Ottawa could end up with a 15th overall pick, which, you know, there's been a lot of good players picked in that range. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, just look at Ottawa's roster. Yeah, I'm immediately thinking Shabbat Norris, uh, like Caulfield from Montreal. But anyways, like I think Ottawa's in a good spot. And I think that that Detroit trade will come back to look better once they do get their pick and know what they're getting. Um, but yeah, like I said with Boston, I mean, we can we can wrap up on that. But I think it's it's just Ottawa, to me, I agree with you. I think that they do stack up nicely against Boston better than they did against uh, Buffalo and, and uh, Florida that we compared them to. So, I mean, that, that's kind of the first one where Ottawa's really got the, the clear edge in my mind. I think their forward group is significantly better. Ironically, though, we did pick Boston's defense, their top four, and their goalies. But I just think that the forward gap is so large here. And I think that Ottawa's potential on defense also when you add that to the forward core and then you, you kind of factor in that Boston is not going to have a nine three, eight say percentage in their net. Like it's just not, if that happens again, I'll be blown away. I just don't see it happening again. I think Allmark will still be great next year. I just don't think he's going to be like a historic netminder of a season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think although we give Boston's lineup the edge in regards to defense and goaltending, I think that Ottawa's potential and we haven't seen it, but I think if they, they can even reach you know, three quarters of their potential this year, they should be able to surpass Boston in the standings. I 100% expect them to um, to pass Boston. And I just mean like on a personal level, I expect them to do it. I'll be disappointed if Boston finishes above them because on paper, Ottawa's a better team and they have more potential. So that's kind of my take on it. And I hope that Ottawa will kind of uh, match up like they did last year and win, you know, the better part of four games that they'll play against them. Yeah, we'll, we'll and during training camp, we'll kind of go over their stats from last year against the division, against the West. I think they did really well against Western Conference opponents, but didn't do so well in the East, or maybe the opposite. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we'll go over all that. Divisional games are going to be so, so important next year. Kind of like a football season a little bit where you have to, like the divisional matchups are going to be massive for the, for the Sens, especially when they're pushing for a playoff spot. So um, that'll do it. I think that's that's going to be it for episode 31. It's Brennan's first from Edmonton, so it's a little benchmark for him there. Um, so yeah, we we will see you uh, on on Monday for episode thirty two, and we thank everyone for joining. And again, if you have not already, head over to the YouTube page, hit that subscribe button uh, on Apple or Spotify. Leave us a good rating, especially too, because we don't want to forget about the audio uh, listeners, because that's obviously what podcasting is. Um, so thanks everyone for watching, and we will see you on Monday.